Welcome to the Period Story Podcast, the podcast where we get behind some of the myths and misconceptions about periods. We chat with women about their period story, their first period, their journey ever since, and we open up a conversation to help break taboos and stigmas around menstruation. I'm your host, Lenise Brothers. I'm a yoga teacher and registered nutritionist specializing in women's health, hormones, and the menstrual cycle. I'm also the author of You Can Have a Better Period, the book Publishers Weekly calls an empowering debut, an informative, refreshing take on women's health. It's available from Amazon, Bookshop, and anywhere else you purchase books. I'm so excited for you to hear today's episode of Period Story. I have a fantastic conversation with Sean Kyra, the founder of Asian Female Entrepreneur. She has a really powerful story of transformation across many aspects of her life, her health, her business, and her personal life. Thank you so much, Sean, for coming on the show today. I'm really excited to speak to you, but let's get started with the first question I ask all my guests, which is tell me the story of your very first period. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So my first period was literally, I think I was like 10 years old. And it was during like, I think it was like Easter holidays. And I remember just being with my brother, like playing around, it was like really warm. And then all of a sudden, he was like, Oh, my God, like, you, I think I was still in my like nighty because it's like early in the morning and he, my brother was like oh my god you've got so much blood like on your dress on your nighty sorry and I was like oh my god like and I'd known obviously about periods then I'm like an 80s child I was born in the 80s but actually what happened after that was I was because I was come from an Indian culture and like periods are seen as like a little bit shameful and I I remember just being really scared and I was like oh my god like how am I going to tell my mum about this I know I'm really young so I was only 10 years old um and then I remember I had to like tell my my mum's friend who was our neighbor and she kind of like broke the news to my mum and like my mum I just don't think she like spoke to me properly about it and she was just really disappointed that I'd started early because in the Indian culture, they have this thing like, well, it might be like a, you know, more of a cultural thing. But basically, they think that if a girl starts their period early, she's not going to grow. <laughs> just like completely <laughs> nuts. So I felt like I was like, yeah, I just found like it was quite a bit of a shameful thing that I'd started really early. And then my mum was like, oh, my God, you're not going to grow. And, you know, all of the emotions that follow that. So it wasn't it wasn't the best experience. <laughs> So there's a lot to kind of um, unpack there. Can you yeah. talk a little bit more about the shame, like the cultural shame and then the shame that you kind of felt, which made you hesitant to tell your mom about what had happened? Yeah. So I think in the culture that I'm brought up in, it's very much about what other people think. You know, judgment is such a big issue in our culture because that because of the family dynamics and the way, you know, especially like the Asian culture is, it's all based on what, what other people think. You know, it's never really based on, you know, your own happiness. And I found that throughout my life with various different things. So I think with my period, I think my mum was just a concern that it had started so early 
and be like, how am I going to manage this as a young child? And I think historically, like Asian parents haven't been very supportive. Like I know if I, when I have my daughter, like she starts a period, I'll be so like comforting and, you know, supportive, but I didn't really have that support. It was just kind of like started your period. And I, you know, my mum's really lovely. I have a really great relationship with her, but at that age, like obviously you filter. um, And my memory of it is very much like I had to kind of get on with it. Um, and I just remember feeling like really, really scared because I think I was like one of the first people like in my year to start my period. I was still in it was before secondary. So it was the last year of like junior school. Um, so it was like a really scary time. Like, you know, at the time, like, you know, they used to have these like huge sanitary towels that were like massive. They weren't discreet. So I remember like taking them to like school and trying to like hide them. And it was just, yeah, it was just a really, I just remember feeling like dirty. Um, And again, like that's what they believe in our culture. Like we're not allowed, we weren't really allowed to like, if you're on your period, not allowed to go to the temple because it's like a dirty thing. Um, So I remember all those feelings really of like shame and guilt and feeling like, oh my God, like, is there something wrong with me? Am I going to grow? You know, you believe all of these things at the time because I was only 10. So yeah, it was pretty tough. Yeah, and 10 is it's quite young. So you would have been in year five, year six? Yeah, I was in year six. I just remember like, I remember having like loads of incidents with my periods as well, because I think I was so young and you don't really understand like the flow of your periods and you don't really understand like day one versus day four or five. So I remember like I was at this, um, I think it was like my cousin's like, pre-party and I was wearing like a white top and oh my god like again I had this incident where like I leaked right and it went through to my top and I remember like it just being like again really shameful and then I had to like go to like my auntie's house change my top but I remember like myself like lying about it because I was so like shamed I was like oh I think I've just had like a car and I remember like my cousin and my other auntie just like whispering about it. And again, it was like, no one ever said like, oh, it's okay. Like, it's fine. You know, it was all very, very like shame ridden, I would say. And then as you got older, so as you moved into your, I love like being a tween to actually being a teenager, did your relationship with your period change at all? I think like when I first started, I remember like, my mum used to kind of force me even though like I wasn't meant to be going to the temple but if I was like kind of like on day one or something she would like still take me to the temple and I think like I think looking back that was like you know not good you know because I think it was it's really hard in Indian suits as well because you've got like bottoms and then you've got like a top and I think it's not the most comfortable clothing to be in but I think as yeah definitely as I got through like secondary school um and like obviously then everyone was starting their periods it felt like so much better because you're just in the same boat as everyone else um and then afterwards I just didn't I was very much like yeah then it was fine as I got older I think it was those like early years when I was in junior school probably early secondary school but then I think like after that like it was you know it was a good thing because my periods were actually quite regular um and then no one like really questions it because 
everyone's in the same boat you know it's absolutely fine yeah it's so interesting that kind of that cultural shame and that religious shame that yeah comes through with having a period and how that can really change your experience of something that just you know it happens it's a natural bodily yeah and you experience this every month for like 40 years but if you start it with this kind of like imprint of shame it can really change your perspective on your body yeah absolutely and because it was this whole thing that I'm not going to grow because I think I was you know quite tall for my like you know year six and then because because my mum kept saying like oh you're not going to grow you're not going to grow and then obviously it had nothing to do with the period but actually that ended up happening I, but that's because you know my my fat, genetics right DNA not because I <laughs> my period early but then I was like thinking oh like the reason why, because again, like in our culture, is not good. You know, the, the standard of beauty is tall, fair and slim. You know, that's the that's the standard of beauty that everyone subscribes to. It's definitely changed now, I think. But back then it was like, oh, you're so short. And then my mum would always remind me like, oh, you're short because you started your period early. And then I remember having this like complex about my height as well, like, you know, when I was at school, not so much when I was at school, but I remember like kind of early teens, I would just be constantly wearing heels. Like even if it would kill me, like I'd go to college in heels. Like if it was a night out, I'd go in heels. Like I was obsessed like with my height then as well, because my mum had made it such a thing. And again, of course, it turned into kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy um, because she kept reminding me. So I think, yeah, I just remember like, just feeling like really alone um and just again like you don't want to tell too many people at school because you know I think one of my friends found out and she told a few people and then again I was like instead of just being like yeah I've started my period everyone was like oh my god like you started your period oh my god like it was made into like such a big thing and you know at that age you just feel you already feel like I felt like as an Asian child I already felt like you know I had a weird name and I looked different and you know, I and then there was like another thing to make me feel different, you know. <laughs> Did you go to a pre- predominantly Asian school or was it mixed? So my junior school was pretty mixed, but my secondary school was, I think I was like one, I think one of two Asian girls in my year. So everyone was predominantly like white. And I was, I would say like middle to upper class because the secondary school I went to. So yeah, I think it was like really tough as well. Yeah. Right. And you had, you said that your periods, they kind of regulated and, you know, they were fairly, were they easy as a teenager? I think like looking back, I think I had, I don't remember them being painful. Um, I think sometimes like the flow would be quite heavy, but I don't really remember them being painful. Like, and obviously I've got, we were chatting earlier, I've gone through my own journey with like PCOS. Now I really notice my periods. I don't know whether it's because I'm working from home, I'm that little bit older. I think at the time I just used to kind of get on with it. And I was very like, I don't ever remember them bothering me. I think when I first started, it was definitely like, oh my God, like, uh, like there's no trackers or anything. So I, I just remember like, 
are trying to navigate it all like you know when you first start you you don't really realize what your flow's like mm. I think that part was quite I found that quite challenging especially when I had to go to these like Indian parties or the temple um and then it's the whole thing of like carrying your pads like how are you going to carry and if you're like really young like not necessarily going to take a handbag um and I remember like school as well like trying to put them in my bag because it's just so huge I remember once oh my god like I wanted to die like I came home from school and my granddad used to like, empty my rucksack and like wash my lunchbox he's so sweet but he like found them and he was like what are these and then I was like oh my god like I just want to die of shame and then he was like oh these are like ladies things and then he blessed him just put them back in but then I think afterwards yeah it was absolutely fine I think then I think in your like then it's kind of seen as like a cool thing you know you've like started your period all of that (laughs) stuff but yeah I definitely notice a difference now for sure yeah can you talk a little bit more about your PCOS journey yeah so basically uh my periods were always they've always been really regular um throughout my life and I did notice them getting a bit heavier and then having like pain like on the left hand side like the lower back I remember in 2019 like the pain was really really bad and I was like okay like this time it's been really painful didn't really think anything of it this was like in the summer, so August 2019. And then I kind of, um, I think maybe I left my appointment to like September. And then I went to the doctors and they were like, okay, we're just going to like book you in for a scan. And I was thinking, well, it hasn't hurt like since. So, it, you know, everything's fine. I don't think I need a scan. And obviously because of, um, I think they have like, because ovarian cancer has been undetected you know, through the NHS, they've obviously any kind of inkling to do with like um, ovaries or cysts. I think they're very hot on it now. And because I think I read a report actually online where they weren't doing enough referrals like the decade previously. And ovarian cancer obviously goes so undetected because it could just, the symptoms could just be anything period related, right? And then I remember like my appointment was in November and I missed it stupidly because I had this massive event in London that I was doing and then I went in December and it was like I think it was like nine days before Christmas or something and then I went for my scan and they were like I remember just being at the hospital and they were like oh um, it looks like you've got some cysts and I was like oh and I remember like just being so like upset that I had cysts like I was like, oh my God, like I've got cysts. I remember going home crying to my husband saying, oh, they're going to write a letter, but I think I've got cysts. Like I was really upset. And then the next day, it was like a Friday evening and it it was like seven o'clock, eight o'clock. It was really late. And the doctor rings me and I'm like, this is really weird because it's like seven o'clock in the evening. Um, and I was like, oh, like, you know, is everything okay, doctor? Because, you know, they told me I've got cysts, so I'll just, you know, wait for a letter. And then she was like, yes, like, we found some cysts. Um, we found a fibroid, we think, but we've also found something else. And I was like, okay, like, what is this something else then? And then she was like, oh, like, I, we don't quite know what the other thing is. I was like, okay, fine, like we can do some more tests. And she was just literally like, 
you know, it's it's probably nothing to worry about. But she goes, I do have to tell you this because, you know, maybe like 10, 15 years ago, we wouldn't have to tell you, but we, we do have an obligation to tell you now. But I'm going to put you on the fast track list for ovarian cancer. And I was like, what? Like, I was like, so shocked and obviously so scared. Like, I was like, that she was like, well, you know, we just don't know what this other thing is. And I was like, oh my God. Like, obviously, I was like completely distraught. Um, I was just like crying. I was so upset. And then you start having crazy thoughts like, am I going to be here next year? Have I got ovarian cancer? Like, what the hell is going on? I remember the next day I had to go and see my cousins because we had this like Christmas party thing booked and I had to act all normal. Um, But basically the process, I think it was a blood test. um, And then the the other process was an MRI scan, I think it was at the time. So I had my blood test the following week, which was like the week before Christmas. And then I rang up the receptionist at at the doctors and she was like, yeah, like your blood test results are back. And like, I don't know why she said this to me, but she was like, oh, they're abnormal. And I'm like, again, just like, I was like, literally like crying my eyes out I was like this is it I've got cancer like it's abnormal and I was and then I was like can I like speak to the doctor can you get to call me back I remember that being like such an excruciating afternoon it took like four hours for the doctor to call me and I just remember thinking well this is it like I'm dying like my my the blood test is not right and then I remember like me and my husband, because I think it's called the, I can't remember what it's called now, like the CA something. And we Googled it, which obviously we shouldn't have, but basically said that it could be abnormal if you're on your period. Is this um, the CA125 test? Yeah, that's yeah. it, CA125, yeah. And um, and then is it was exactly that. It was abnormal because I was on my period. And I don't know what until this day, like why the receptionist would just say that without any context. Um, but then the doctor was like, you know, it, it is because of your period. We just have to wait for the MRI scan. And then obviously like, and then what happened was because I think I was so stressed out. Um, like uh, just after Christmas, I basically like came on my period again. And like, I just had my period the week, week before I'd finished. And then it came on again. I think that was really like stress. And then I was like, oh my God, I've definitely got cancer. Like this, this is a sign. It was just crazy. Um, And then I went for my MRI and then like they took ages to get back to me, but I took it as a good sign because I was like, if it was anything serious, they would have told me. Um, But they just said like, it's nothing like cancerous. This was like 2020. So just before lockdown, but they did say like, you have PCOS um, and potentially the start of, endometriosis and then they said like you've obviously got fibroids and cysts um and this was like 2020 and I think that year I just kind of went into denial and they were like oh like classic like oh you need to lose some weight but it's going to be really hard for you to lose weight that yeah that's what they said like at the hospital they were like you'll need to lose some weight but it'll be really hard for you to lose weight and I was like great And then I was just kind of in denial. I didn't really, in lockdown, the PCOS was kind of like the least of my concerns. Like I just wasn't very, I just was just kind of like, I've got it, but I'm not really going to do anything about it. My periods aren't too painful. Yes, they're a bit heavy, but I'm just going to be fine. Um, And then I did cut out gluten and dairy 
And then it was only last year. And then I started doing a few things, but I wasn't, I was just like, just trying to read books and YouTube stuff, like to get it under control. Um, But then last year, I remember around this time last year, I was getting so tired and I was constantly exhausted. Like I had to take naps during the day. I was so tired. And then I finally decided to work with like a health coach um, and get like all my tests done because I wanted um, like scientifically backed data. Like I think, you know, when you've got it there in front of you, like in black and white. Um, So I kind of started this journey of like weight loss, getting like my periods under control, getting my tiredness under control. Um, And I found out I had loads of things wrong with me, like an underactive thyroid, really low vitamin D. Um, Obviously, my blood sugar levels were a bit elevated. Um, And then obviously have PCOS, of course. Um, So, yeah, I just been on this like I feel like on this journey for like eight, nine months properly. Um, but yeah, definitely like getting there now, which is, which is good. <laughs> so when you had the MRI originally, so yeah. like late 2019, 2020, did yeah. they do blood tests as well to confirm the PCOS? So I think they didn't do a blood test. They only did the CA125, I think. Right. Yeah. And they didn't. They didn't do a, P- yeah, they didn't really do much about around PCOS. They were kind of like, oh, it looks like you've got PCOS because I think one of the factors is cysts, right? Um, I think, I can't remember. It is, but this is something I see a lot in my clinic yeah. where women, they get diagnosed with PCOS just based on an ultrasound or an MRI. Yeah. And because it, it, it's actually normal to have some cysts because it is, yeah. And then some of my clients, it turns out they don't actually have PCOS because we do blood work and we kind of dig into all of it. And yeah. they just had this diagnosis based on an ultrasound. So that's why I'm I'm curious. Is then once you worked with a health coach, were they able to verify the diagnosis yeah. through the blood work? Yeah, they were. They were. So I did have PCOS. Yeah. So I think I I remember the report being like 50 pages long. So I was just taking it all in. But yeah, definitely like PCOS, not so much endometriosis. Um, And I've had loads of scans since then. But then it was so funny because I went for a scan last month, last year and the cyst had gone. And, I, and then they were like, oh, there's no cysts. And I was like, what? Like, where did it go? But then they said that, which I didn't know, apparently the cysts can come and go each month, depending on the period. <laughs> I was like, what? How am I really finding this out, like, two years later? Yeah, it's. I, I actually find this so mad because you have these women getting these diagnoses and yeah. being told you have PCOS, and it's a very serious you know, condition because it affects so many aspects of your health, but it based on like seeing cysts. But like I say, it's normal to have cysts. It's just that the different, um, the different eggs, the mature eggs, some actually don't, they don't leave the ovaries. So they're at different stages of, of growth and some, they just don't break through the ovary. Um, sometimes what is seen on the, on the ultrasound. Yeah, this is so, it's really, it's fascinating because you got this diagnosis, which obviously played on your mind so much. 
And then to have the scan to say, oh, well, actually, we don't see any cysts. It's wild. I just think, I think like I would never have got anywhere with, and this is why, Lenise, like your work is so important. Like if I didn't have my health coach, like making sense of all of this, like I would just be like, what the hell? Um, I just think it's such a mind build. Mm. And I think especially with PCOS, I find it really complicated. Like, especially with the blood sugar stuff, like it's just, it is really hard to navigate. If you're like, my recommendation would always be just work with a health coach because reading the books, YouTubing, like I was first two years, it's not specific to your body. Mm. Yes, there's some like generic advice in there, like, I don't know, like, cut out sugar you know try and go gluten and dairy free um one thing I did was um I stopped doing like hit exercises so I do more toning stuff now and stopped going for my crazy runs that I was doing during lockdown and that I think all that advice is probably good advice but then your body is so you know everyone's body is different and I I actually got diagnosed with SIBO as well um which is the gut the gut, small intestine, small intestine, small intestine, um, bacterial overgrowth. Yeah. yeah. So I had to then go on a protocol for that, which I healed actually, which I mean, SIBO could come back. Um, but it's just, it's really hard. Like when you don't, this is why getting results and blood work is so important. Um, so if anyone's listening to this, like, please work with someone like Denise, because <laughs> seriously, like, I don't know how I would have done it without my health coach. I would just would have been in the same situation. Um, just, yeah, like my periods are much more regulated. They're not as heavy now. Um, and food is so important as well, because I think in January, it was like my birthday and I was away. And I like went off the wagon a little bit, like fell off the wagon at like a lot of crap, like drank a little bit and immediately that same month I noticed an impact on my period and I was like this is crazy but people don't they don't tell you that and obviously the NHS bless them they're not you know they're not equipped to deal with PCOS like Mm. they don't they don't have the knowledge it's a very specialist area um and they just don't have the knowledge and just saying lose weight but you're going to find it hard because it is hard for women who have got PCOS to lose weight. Well, that's what I found. It's not as simple as like, you know, just calorie counting. And it for me, that hasn't worked really. So mm. I've definitely lost weight, but I've had to do it in different ways. Yeah. Um, blood sugar control, that kind of stuff. Um, but this is why you need to work, work with a health coach because it is just wild if you're not. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to shift gears a little bit um, and talk a little bit more about your the work you do and the kind of transformative element that you kind of bring to your clients, but also to your own life. Um, because I read about, you know, some of the things that you said around challenging Asian culture, and this kind of ties yeah. into your experience of your period a little bit. Um, and then how, when you challenged that your Asian culture, how you started to transform yourself. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So I think, so do you mean like how I challenged it and then the transformation, right? Yeah. 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 So I grew up in a really strict Asian family. Um, 
my obviously I'm Sikh so a Punjabi cultured family and my mum and dad especially my mum was very very strict and they are naturally more strict to normally on girls anyway um and I had like all my all my cousins on my like dad's side are boys so I found that really difficult and challenging anyway because everyone all my cousins are boys and it would always be like double standards for me and my cousins like if we'd ever go to the temple they'd be able to like play outside and I'd have to like be inside and they'd all go out and I wasn't allowed to go out um and I let I let like led a very sheltered life like you know I wasn't really allowed to go out um I wasn't allowed to like play with people that much I wasn't allowed sleepovers go around people's friends houses not really allowed to like go town with like my friends um wasn't allowed to cut my hair wasn't allowed to wear makeup (laughs) all these like crazy things um I guess my parents are still like they were figuring it out because they're first generation here so I think they didn't know how to like have us mix into the British culture so they were just trying to preserve their culture I guess but they went up I mean all Asian parents are the same like my husband's parents are exactly the same it's not just my parents they didn't really know how to do it um and then I think it was like when I was kind of turning like 13 14 and I'd like lived this sheltered life like literally was not allowed to do anything like it was crazy like going to the cinema was really frowned upon going to sleepovers was like a dirty thing because you're sleeping around someone's house like I don't know what they think of that but they think it's really bad and then I think when we so I used to again like live on like my hometown was like the roughest I lived on the roughest street in my hometown as well so I wasn't really I I mean, I never had friends over because I was so embarrassed about our house because it was just terrible. Um, but then when we finally moved out at like 14 um, into like a nicer house, I just thought to myself, like, this can't be my life. Like, I can't, you know, just stick out like a sore thumb. Like my hair was really curly, which I loved. But like, I wasn't allowed to like even wear my hair down. Like I always had to have it up because, again, that seemed like it's a really bad thing, like Thing, like if you let your hair down just sounds wild um but then I was just like you know what like my life can't just be like this because if I think I prescribed to my parents like structure for my life I would have literally never gone to uni I would have got married off really young then I would have like just had kids no career and that would have been like the end of me type of thing um and then I was like you know what like there's more to life than this and I just started to like rebel a little bit um so I started like I think at 15 I was like going out clubbing because I just I think when you don't give your kids freedom and they I think they rebel more I definitely think it's a thing and then it just started like I remember like going out at 15 like making new friends I went through my own little mini transformation like remember like going to House of Fraser at the time and like saying I want new makeup like got my hair chemically straightened, got new clothes. So when I was like going to college, I'd like completely transform that summer. Like people were like, oh my God, like you look so different. And then I just didn't really, I know it sounds terrible, but I just didn't really listen to my parents because I was like, they're not living in this culture. Like, you know, I want to go out. I want to make friends. I want to party. And then like, it's, you know, my mum, my relationship with my mum wasn't great because Obviously, she didn't approve of me cutting my hair, wearing makeup, wearing like, you know, tight jeans and 
that that kind of stuff but then through that rebellion I think I found freedom um and then I remember like at 18 I went traveling which was like what like nearly 20 years ago now which was completely unheard of at the time like for an Asian girl like I didn't know anyone who'd been traveling who was Asian I was the first probably person in my hometown out of our Asian community to do that none of my cousins had been traveling no one had done it and then again the whole like my mum got shamed by like my uncles and aunties like why are you sending her she shouldn't go she shouldn't be going by herself like blah 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 and then I think after that I just 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 did my own thing and I think my mum realized like there's no point trying to control her because then I think it was a bit easier because as other people in my hometown kind of grew up then girls started cutting their hair and you know like going out then it wasn't so bad but then when I went to uni it was great because I got my freedom there um and I think a lot of Asian kids actually um get their free well back then got their freedom at uni you know um and then my mum and dad actually have been like now my mum really looks up to me she's like oh you know you're quite you've got a successful business like you've achieved so much and now she can I think see like I was always right um because I've become my own person I've become really independent like strong and now she's just like yeah like Shandu's best like whatever (laughs) she thinks goes and it's so funny because I made my own choices like they were trying and then there was this whole thing in my late 20s like they wanted to get me married because I, I again I was in my late 20s wasn't married and again that was like getting a bit shameful because I'm still sat on the shelf and potentially past my sell by date and they were tr- kind of trying to pressurize me like they were like you know let's do like a bit of an arranged marriage like you can meet this guy or you know you can meet so and so and I was like no like I'm not going to get pressurized into like getting married for the sake of having a big Asian wedding so I really held my nerve until like I met my husband and I was like this is the right person for me um, because I didn't want to get married to like a typical kind of Asian guy into a typical Asian family. Um, and then it's so weird because then my my brother had an arranged marriage and it didn't like work out. Um, and it was really, really messy. It was a girl from India and it was horrific, like a really bad experience. And like, again, like my mum can now see that like my choices were the right choices, you know, even though it was painful for her at the time. <laughs> So I think that has definitely been my transformation. And I think that if I just followed like my parents, what they their path for me, I I genuinely don't know where I would be right now. Like, I just hate to think what it would have been like. <laughs> it's so interesting because when you're young, you you just think your parents they know everything and they're yeah. kind of like you look up to them you don't agree with everything they're telling you to do but then it's like when you get into your teenage years it's like something switches in your brain and you kind of yeah. like I went through a bit of rebellion myself more like when I was in my 20s but yeah. it's just that the switch where you kind of are like, actually, just let me find my own way. You know, you can yeah. keep pushing me. And I just find that the transformation that you've gone through so fascinating, especially the cultural side of it. And I'm really curious about, you know, your journey into entrepreneurship. You know, you had your bridal business and now you have your kind of coaching business and you know this 
this is so, you know, kind of different, so parallel to the path that your parents wanted you to go on. Yeah. Talk about that side of it, you know, your the transition to entrepreneurship and that kind of cultural barriers you had to overcome there. Yeah. So it's really interesting, actually, because my parents, like, they aren't blessed them. They're not very educated. By the way, I have a really great relationship with my parents. I feel like I'm demonizing them a lot, but they are so sweet now. But um, yeah, they they had manual labor jobs. So my my parents were kind of factory workers back in the day. They're retired now, actually. But um, so I think from a from like a job career perspective for me, they weren't. They weren't ever like you have to be a doctor or you have to be um, a barrister or a dentist, because I think that's a lot. A lot of Asian parents do put that pressure on their kids. Like so they weren't very much like that. Um, And I suppose they always were quite supportive of me doing what I wanted to do. Um, But I think because everyone in my family, um, so my uncles and aunts, like my dad's uh, brothers and sisters, they're they're fair play to them they are all self-made millionaires actually um except for my parents and I think I had always had this thing when I was younger like I was never like really jealous of them or anything but like I could see like the value of having your own business because my parents my parents blessed them like you know they never they never kind of reached that like status but whereas like my aunts and uncles had like a lot of property and they had like a lot of businesses and obviously, like the difference was huge. So I think that seed got planted in me really early um, that I don't want to like work for someone else. It might my earning potential could be capped. And I think my one of my biggest values is freedom because obviously I didn't have it as I was young. Um, so I think the idea of me having a business has always been there. Um, but obviously I got a degree in in uh, business as well so I think that like in terms of me starting my business it was really weird because I think that like I, I initially just started it for freedom I said I would say and just knowing that I'm in charge because I every time I had a job I just didn't it just didn't work for me like the whole I, what I found really crazy was like someone else is in charge of like my promotion and it all depends on if they like you and they like your work style of working they like your personality and that always like jarred with me because I'm like well just a couple of people are in charge of like how much money I earn and how I progress in my career um so I think after I got married I was just like I'm just gonna explore this um and not I mean that was 2015 so Yes, people are having online businesses, but it wasn't like a huge thing as it is now. Like everyone can kind of start a business now, it feels like. But then, yeah, I just took that plunge and I just went for it. And and my wedding planning business was really successful. Like I was doing destination weddings within um, 18 months of launching my business, which was really unheard of. Like I was doing weddings in like Italy and Switzerland. Um, But then... I just felt like with my wedding business and the wedding world, I think, I mean, I loved weddings, but I feel, I feel, I felt like, again, there was a bit of a cap on what I could do. Um, I mean, you can do anything you want, to be really honest, but I just felt like 
the wedding world was a bit like like superficial maybe like a little bit like um and then I just with my Asian coaching business Asia um yeah Asian female entrepreneur collective it wasn't meant to actually be like like so many of us like I just set up a Facebook group in 2017 just to I was like oh this will be really great to like network with um you know fellow fellow entrepreneurs and see like how this works I never had any desire to do workshops masterminds coaching it didn't even cross my mind like I was just like no um but then because I because I was doing so well in my wedding business and because my background used to be online marketing um in my corporate jobs everyone was like oh can you like just do a workshop and like how to get more clients or marketing or whatever and I was like okay like I'll do that that I, I know so much about marketing and planning and blah 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 I was like maybe two years into my business and um I did my first London workshop in 2017 and there was like 19 people there which was great for my first workshop um and then I started doing more workshops but they didn't really take off like the, the first the ones after that first one were a bit there was like seven or eight people sometimes 10 people I think like not many people at all and then the following year, I just started to I decided to launch a mastermind. I, I was living in Canada at the time because my husband um was working there. So I was in between Canada and the and the UK. I literally had this like, I remember it was like on a Saturday, just like this download that I should do a mastermind. I don't know what it was, but something in me was like, just do a mastermind. And my husband at the time was like, well, are you sure? Because you've got like your wedding season coming up, destination weddings come up. I was like, no, I'm just gonna do it. And then I did it. I had a really successful launch, but the results out of, out of my mastermind were just incredible um, to a point where I think like 70 or 80% of the group like re-signed for another three months. Um, so everyone wanted to stay. And then, yeah, it just kind of led from that. Like, I think then in 20, I think it was the start of 2019, I decided that I'm going to stop doing weddings because it just wasn't aligned um and then my coaching business was doing really well I was getting lots of clients selling out my masterminds and then and then of course lockdown happened which was really good because I decided to I think my last wedding was August 2019 I I decided at the beginning of that year that I was gonna um leave weddings and then it's just kind of gone from strength to strength really I hope that answers your question (laughs) yeah it is really interesting hearing your journey and I wonder you know Talking, going back to the idea of culture and the conversation that we've been having about it, when you have, because it's so Asian female entrepreneur, entrepreneur connective, if there's any sort of mindset hurdles that you yeah. have to help your clients get over around being an Asian female entrepreneur. Yeah, definitely. So I think the biggest ones that come up are judgment. Um, and being scared of being judged and also judging ourselves because our culture is all steeped in judgment. Um, it's like we're like on autopilot to think what will other people think. And it's it it's just so ingrained in us from a, such a young age. Um, and I still catch myself doing it. Like, you know, like if I want to, something might be going on in my life and and I'd be like, oh my God, like what my aunts and uncles thing? And I really have to like stop myself. So I think that's a really big one. And then of course that plays then into visibility because I think if you're being really visible online, you have to let go of judgment. 
and you do have to stop caring about what other people think, especially when you're stepping into your truest self online. I think that people then want to water themselves down because they want to be liked. And I think the trend we're seeing online is it's not about being like brash or bold, but I think people that claim their true voice and their true power are more successful. And especially if they're an embodiment of that. So I think that's a really big one. And I think also, I think support as well. I think that's why my masterminds, you know, do incredibly well, because we just don't really get that much support, I think. Um, I'm really lucky I've got a really supportive husband. I I think I found more confidence after getting married to him because he really encouraged me to be myself and express myself. But I think in general, we don't have that much support when it comes to potentially partners, family members. Um, so I think that's another big one. And self-belief as well. Um, is a really big one as well because again like it ties into not having the support people not believing in us so I think it all has to come within Um, especially for me like I've had to really cultivate my own self-belief because I think also like I think it's different I think it is difficult as well like when you're in um, the coaching space sometimes I've found it difficult to work with like say for example like you know um coaches not from the similar background because I think our blocks are so unique hmm. um and sometimes you feel like pe- other people don't understand it unless you're Asian hmm. um so I think that's why a lot of my clients come to me because cultural blocks is a thing hmm. like it's not just some trivial thing that we're making up it's very real and I think it's a great thing you have to overcome them in order to have a successful business. Um, but I think those are like the main things. I think judgment is such a big one. And I think Asian women do judge themselves a lot as well. Um, and we never see really like Asian women, like on a global stage, like breaking through either, which I think is really sad. Like if I think about, you know, the big kind of influences in the coaching space, like worldwide, I, you know, you really struggle to think about Asian women, you know, because again, it's those blocks and barriers that often block us from stepping into the next level. Mm. Yeah. You've used some really interesting words there, like judgment and like self-belief. And I just want to ask you a little bit more around your experience of being judged by others. So it's something you talk a lot on your Instagram was the experience of bullying you had to face early in your kind of entrepreneurship journey. Can you tell us a little bit what happened and how you overcame that? Yeah, so it was actually, um, it was so weird because the the first day I actually launched my Asian wedding planning business, um, I I worked with like kind of a coordinator for my wedding um and she got really weird that I'd launched an Asian wedding planning business and there were like some comments left on my Facebook page from like her team and her um and obviously I just deleted them and left her a voice note saying you know I told you I was starting your Asian wedding planning business I don't understand why you're commenting like that and if you comment again I will take like further action I mean at the time in 2015 I didn't really know what further action meant But that was like my first experience. And my big experience was in 2020. Um, 
you know, I, I don't want to go into too much specifics, but I'll share what happened. So basically, I think I think sometimes there's like an Asian sisterhood wound where I think sometimes in not in my family, actually, but in certain families, um, it's it, it's really competitive. And I think sometimes like the Asian culture is very like pretentious and it it can be about like who's doing the best like who's doing really well and like kind of like competitive I've never really been like that because my parents have you know come from from a really normal background um and I think what happened was that like because I was doing so well in 2020 like my launches were selling out my client results were amazing everything I was putting out was does you know and still you know does really really well and I think there was like a few select people, like again, Asian women, which was the sad part of it. Like they were part of like the wedding industry. And because of the wedding industry on hold, um, there were like a couple of people who clearly just got very jealous and then kind of fueled this like lying fake rumor about me and my work. Um, and then decided to basically lie about me and distribute it in some specific Asian groups um, on Facebook, which obviously was very traumatic, um, especially when you post something in a group, which has got like 4,000 Asian female entrepreneurs, <laughs> um, which wasn't my group. And then bless my clients. Like I remember it just came out of nowhere Lenise like it literally just came out of nowhere it was like a June in lockdown I hadn't done anything specifically huge like it was just really random and then basically I found out like one of my clients were like oh there's this post in this group and it looks like it's about you so they weren't naming me but it was it was it was about me like she used to be a wedding planner blah 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 and um they sent me screenshots and then I kind of didn't think anything of it like my husband was like just leave it just leave it and then it then stuff got posted into another group and then one of my clients was like look I can get on a zoom call with you I love my clients I can show you the whole thread and oh my god when she showed me the whole thread I was like shaking I wanted to be sick like there was so many nasty comments about me like so there's this whole rumor that like I'd like copied someone's work which was just a complete lie because I'd never I'd never done that obviously um it was it was all a lie basically and this person had also lied about other things to do with me and some other people and I wasn't the only one she unfortunately believed there was lots of other people as well which transpired um and then basically I was like this is not okay And these people aren't going to get away with it because if I, you know, I'm going to continue to get bigger and bigger. And there's just, you know, next, if I don't put a close to it now, they're just going to continue. So I decided to hire like an incredible legal firm from London, like the leading ones. They like, they deal with like Dubai shakes and lots of celebrities, Elton John. Um, And I decided to hire them and it cost me quite a lot, but. I was like, I found it really empowering because I'm like, I'm an Asian woman. I can pay for this. Um, I don't really need to like claim it my insurance. I'll just go through them. And obviously some letters then went out about slander and defamation. Um, And then obviously like my lawyers literally wouldn't have taken me on if I was lying. So they were like, 
could have been any way that something could have been copied I was like absolutely not and I'm happy to take this to court because they were like you know if it gets to court then they'll go through your laptop and they'll compare materials and I was like this did not happen it was a lie like it genuinely did not happen it was all fabricated um and then obviously the letters went out to a couple of people um and then as soon as the letters then got dropped it was brilliant they got dropped to one of them on like a Friday evening at like five o'clock Oh, <laughs> just, just to ruin their weekend like they ruined mine and then it was like we were in a bit of a legal kind of back and forth um through the the, the lawyers were dealing with their lawyers and well, I mean they didn't really have lawyers I think they were just I think we found out one person had, like was basically using someone who was like a fake so pretending to be that person and she wasn't even registered by like the solicitors association it was these it just shows you these people are just complete lies but um it was a really traumatic experience and it had me on edge for quite a few months um but everything got deleted um didn't really get an apology which I was happy about I never shared about it on socials at the time because my lawyers were like don't do it because you know you don't want to do that that was the advice at the time um and because of that experience I then decided to train as a mindset coach so something really great came out of it I was really hot on mindset before that anyway but then I was like I'm actually going to get certified as a mindset coach because I found it really the whole experience really fascinating and how I dealt with it um and then yeah since then they've just kept kept quiet because I think they know that you know you don't want to obviously I think you when you're in that situation you have to take action you can't let people get away with it um but then it's so funny because I recently did an event in January February sorry with 200 Asian female entrepreneurs and again there was this like other kind of Asian coach who's in kind of like the same space just like then sharing something on her Instagram about like you know just comparing her event to mine and being like oh basically that my event was better because it was smaller and I'm just like this is just ridiculous like but I think when you do get bigger I think you are open because the numbers get bigger you're open to more judgment you're open to more criticism but I think if you are getting bullied and trolled and like actually the standard and defamation that's like serious you know because yeah. out of that out, out of that um experience in 2020 like people you know cancelled their membership with I had a membership site so people would yeah there was some event refund um tickets like people wanted refunds and people did some some people did believe the lies um so if it ever gone to court I could have showed like loss of earnings but I think that like because it all got deleted and because I rose above it and I didn't like, obviously my natural instinct was like shut my business and just lie in bed. And this is exactly what they wanted. I think one of them actually commented saying, oh, I don't know how she'll survive this. She'll probably just disappear. And like, this is exactly what what they wanted. They wanted me to go away, but I was like, no. And because I think my community saw that like I rose above it and I I didn't really speak about it. And, and and it's funny, the people that asked for refunds, like they were, I think when you're supporting those kind of people, it's just like, what do you call them? Like 
there's a word for them I've forgotten now but like they're just like little like I felt like they were like kind of like sidekicks almost yes. they were quite easily influenced they all had very similar traits um so I, they were quite negative in general so you know the clients that I completely loved obviously were on my side but the clients that I didn't really align with they were the ones that kind of dropped away and I think it was a really good experience for me just having a cleanse one of the girls who chimed in on the comments I just had a really bad feeling about her she was my husband's friend's wife and I had a bad feeling about her for months and months because she was watching what I was doing obviously I was doing really well and she chimed in and I was like I just I just knew some people that were going to chime in that they didn't like me. I just felt that energy. So it was a really good experience of just cleansing a lot of people. Um, and then because I think my community saw me rise above it, they were obviously really inspired. And now some of my clients go through it as well. I just think it's a really natural thing, um, especially when you get bigger. So you just got to be ready to deal with like, and now I know like the legals inside out. Like if that was to happen to me, it wouldn't phase me. I'd be like, right, okay, need to send out a letter. And most people aren't going to take it to court, you know. And then these people were like begging me to drop it. They were like, can you just please drop this? Like, we don't want to go to court. Like, we don't, we don't want to spend any more money on this. So you've got to be really careful online. Like if you're saying stuff about people and it, if they're, even though they didn't use my name, it was obvious that they were talking about me and my and lawyers had put, proven that in the letters, like you had talked about Sean because of X, Y, and Z, you know, you would then have to get a lawyer to then respond. It's just not worth it. So people should just be kind and be nice. Yeah. <laughs> it, I, I think that people don't realize how, you know, that, you know, they say sticks and stones will break my bones, but words yeah. will never hurt me. But they, you know, words do hurt. And it's funny, my son was learning about the online disinhibition, disinhibition effect in school. You know, the idea that you have to be careful what you say online just because you think you're anonymous and no one, yeah. you know, it does matter. And, you know, this is proof of that. You can't just say anything you want because it matters and it makes a difference to not only people's livelihoods, but the way that they feel about themselves. It really has an, an impact, but it really, I think your story is really empowering how you rose above it and you've just gone from strength to strength. It's just very, very inspiring. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you you absolutely have to. And I think at the time, like, I remember it was actually like, because I remember like, um, basically like going to therapy as well, because I was like, I need, I'd never even considered therapy before then. And I was like, this experience has left me really on edge. Like I hated my own Facebook group. I didn't, I had this whole thing around Facebook. I remember at one point I got really paranoid about stuff as well. Like I'd have anxiety going onto Instagram or my DMs. And if someone, if I, I still, if someone tags me in a big group, I'm like the first, you know, sometimes like my first inkling is like, oh my God, oh my God. So definitely have this like a little, not so much at all now, but a little bit of anxiety around Facebook groups. But then I closed my Facebook group, started a new one. So that really helped me. But I think, yeah, I, I really, because I remember that happened in June and by like 
And then I had to pause like my launch. We just started running Facebook ads. So I had to pause my launch because I couldn't do a launch when that was all going on. But then I decided to do my launch like a month later. And like, that was like the best thing. Like, and I just came from a place of service. I was like, I don't care about this launch, like numbers. I was like, I'm just here to like be of service. Um, And that launch went really well. And it just goes to show, I think that like people... Yeah, people can be really hurtful, but the truth will always prevail. Um, and I think that if if you are deliberately, because they clearly were triggered and they should have really worked on themselves rather than taking it out on me. Um, and I always think when I see like people, can, like cancel culture is so big now. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I don't really subscribe to that because I think, Things can get taken out of context so much online. Um, But I think that like you have to rise above it. And I'm so glad I did because I think my community now can see that and it is part of the story, you know, but it does take resilience. I had to go therapy a good few months. I had to really, and because we're in lockdown, I couldn't see anyone. It was really hard. Um, So it was really difficult because I just wanted to naturally like see my friends. And the sad thing about it was actually like one of my um, like extended family members, bless her, she'd like committed suicide. Um, So I was like dealing with that. And I think they knew that I was going to be offline for a few days because I'd put on my stories like I'm going to be offline, like I'm watching the funeral virtually, like I'll need some space. But then that just really shows you about their character and like... Mm. And then I think now I look at most of them, majority of them haven't even got a business. Like I think one person out of the clan is doing quite, quite well, but the rest of them, they don't even have a business really in that coaching space. So I'm just like, that just says everything really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause reputation is everything. And when you're as a coach, especially because you're, you know, you're helping other people transform. Yeah. And if people seeing, see you behaving like this, you know, what does it say about your reputation? Um, yeah. In terms of your story, you know, you've had this amazing transformation, you know, in many aspects of your life, your health, your business. Someone, for someone listening to today's episode, What's the one thing that you want them to take out of everything that you've shared today? That's such a hard question. I think that like, I think a lot of people don't realize that like challenges are part of the journey, whether it's your health, whether it's your business, whether it's an experience like I had with my bullying. And I think a lot of people just think it's everything's easy. Like they have this misconception because obviously what we see online, like, oh, when you're on your healing journey, everything's like pretty and unicorns and butterflies. But actually, like, I think what really makes you is how you overcome those challenges. So always be prepared for the challenges, I think. Mm. Um, And the quicker you can overcome challenges and not take things personally, um, and just come from a mindset of solutions. So like last year, for example, there were like a couple of launches we had that didn't do as well because of the cost of living crisis. And I had a launch right in the middle of when the Queen died and the whole Liz Trust stuff and the whole Rishi suit. Like it was the worst time to have a launch because there was so much uncertainty. Um, but then rather than like me just 
being really sad and just being like, right, I'm never launching this program again. Like, forget it. Like, everyone hates my program. No one wants to buy. Blah, blah, blah. I just took a mindset of like, okay, what can we learn from this? Yeah. What do we need to change? Why didn't it work? What are we going to do next time? And if you're coming from that kind of growth mindset and just letting your challenges, just alchemizing them into power, I think that like that is like the best advice I can give anyone. I love that. Resilience. Yeah, that is so powerful. Resilience, growth mindset. Beautiful. Where can people find you? Yes. So I am on Instagram. My handle is Asian underscore female underscore entrepreneur. Um, And I've also got a Facebook group, which is called the Asian Female Entrepreneur Club. So yeah, people can find me there. Brilliant. Thank you so much for coming onto the show today. Thank you so much for having me, ladies. For more inspiring conversations, head over to periodstorypod.com where we have so many more for you to peruse. If you want help with your menstrual or hormone health, email me on hello at eatlovemove.com to set up a free 30-minute hormone health review. If you like today's show, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Tag us, come say hi, and send in your requests for who you'd like to see on the show on Instagram and Twitter on at periodstorypod or email us at hello at periodstorypod.com. I'm Lenise Brothers, and you've been listening to Period Story. Thank you so much for listening.